I'm Stephen, he's Chris, and this is Mobile Arcade Club, a show where we take a look at games from Apple Arcade each episode and talk about what works, what doesn't, and hopefully let you know if it's something you might want to try. In this episode, I get deep into the simulation of Zen Pinball Party, and Chris lightly manages a zoo in Zookeeper World. Hello and welcome to episode 41 of the Mobile Arcade Club. On this episode, Stephen and I are looking at two very different games that we had interesting experiences with, uh, to say the least. The first being Zen Pinball Party and the other being Zookeeper World. But we'll start off with Zen Pinball Party, which is the one, Stephen, that you checked out. Uh, This one's by Zen Studios based in Hungary. Tell us about Zen Pinball Party. So, yeah, what attracted me to Zen Pinball Party was that I, I've i seen this company seems to be the gold standard of pinball simulations whenever, not that I come across it a whole with a whole uh, degree of regularity, but whenever I see someone talking about authentic pinball or digital pinball games, digital pinball experiences, you could say, Zen Studios is the one that always comes up as just the absolute, you can't beat it, just go with this, don't bother with anything else. So I figure if I'm going to enjoy a pinball game at all, this is probably going to be the one. And my to give some some background, my my background with pinball is pretty much Pokemon pinball. Uh, oh, hell yeah. Timon and Pumbaa's uh, Jungle Games, which has a pinball mode in it. And that one that came with Windows XP, that's pretty much my entire experience with pinball. So that's maybe, to, to colour my reaction, there's some interesting context. Um, the the yeah. good old space pinball. Yes, oh, it was it was very good. And there are some spacey ones here, which was nice. But uh, yeah, so as far as I can tell from my non-enthusiast pinball eyes, it seems like a really, really authentic, true-to-life pinball simulation. Like, it visually looks so much like any real physical pinball machine that I've seen, you know, in an arcade or a fish and chip shop or a bowling alley or wherever they happen to turn up these days. And it's, they have some really cool, uh, it, it looks, it's just got so much going on. So if you've looked at a real pinball machine, it'll have lights popping off all over the place, six or seven different paths for a ball to go in, holes for it to go in, got your paddles, you got your weird bouncy things that make the ball go everywhere and it's just almost like overloading my senses there's just so much visually going on and for that reason I struggled to play this game at all on an iPhone because the amount of intricate detail on all of these tables is really quite quite impressive to to behold but playing it on a standard phone like I'm playing it on a, a 12 Pro I consider that at the moment the phone-sized phone, you could say, it was hard to see what was going on with everything happening, your ball's so tiny on screen, you've got all these lights flashing and the levers popping, all the the various things going on. I found a much, much better experience playing it on an iPad. I suspect, I don't know if it supports this, I didn't get a chance to try it, but I suspect you might have the absolute best way of playing this maybe on on a Mac with a vertically oriented widescreen monitor I think would be about as good as it gets but um yeah if if you play this on a phone and you find it too small I agree and I'd highly highly recommend playing this on as big a screen as you can possibly 
manage with your current setup because it is it is a struggle on a small screen i've got to say so would you say that an ipad would be the the smallest size screen that you would say you know gives you the optimal experience for zen pinball party personally yeah like i i haven't got like a pro max phone to try or anything but i can't imagine the difference between a, a 12 and a 12 pro max would be enough to to offset how much is going on in such a small space. Like it, it might be doable, you know, if if you have better eyes than me. Like I have okay vision, but it's I need glasses, so there's some more context there. Um if you've got it on a phone and you're on Apple Arcade, it's probably worth a try. But yeah, I think for me, I wouldn't go anything smaller than an iPad. Pro- an iPad mini, one of the new ones have a fairly sizable screen. That's probably about as small as I'd want to go. Yeah, I'm I'm just finding the visual rather amusing of playing this on a Mac on a vertically oriented monitor. Uh, just just picturing, okay, I've got to move from my work Mac station to my specialized pinball Mac station with my vertically oriented monitor. Uh, but I suppose if, if you're a pinball enthusiast and love your pinball, then perhaps that's uh, uh, worth the effort. But uh, perhaps for, for filthy casuals like us, uh, perhaps not. I think maybe just for fun and maybe for the Twitter post for this episode, I can and vertically orient my monitor. So no no promises, but I might see if I can take a photo of this thing in vertical orientation playing Zen Pinball, see how I go. Because it, it sounds ridiculous, but I have become aware of entirely digital like pinball tables that are just like a massive screen with you know all of the same you know buttons on the side that a regular pinball machine would have, but they interact with the digital pinball game that's running on the table. So Look, a vertically oriented screen is not as ridiculous as it gets, let me promise you. <laughs> right. I'll have to look that up. That sounds rather fascinating. Um, but yeah, how how did you find sort of the, the whole whole process of, of, of playing pinball and you know what what sort of you know other than you know playing the conventional game of pinball, trying to get as high a score as possible, are there any other systems or sort of gameplay loops and rewards involved in, in this? It was pretty straightforward. Like initially, because uh, I initially played this offline, so I didn't get all of the extra, because it's got all like extra weekly challenges and stuff, but they were gone when I wasn't playing online. So I was playing just purely the standard mode, which was pretty straightforward. It's sort of, you hit the... Uh, a- Bottom left and bottom right corner of your screen will be the left and right flippers, paddles. I'm not quite sure the correct word. I hope someone tells me. Um, But yeah, that'll hit those sides. And then a swipe on the top of the screen will do like a nudge of the machine one way or the other. Um, And so it's fairly straightforward controls wise to play with. And I did find I had to play with the, there's a bunch of camera options that can help make it a little bit easier and might make it more phone friendly where it sort of can move the camera a little bit so you're not necessarily looking at the entire table at a time but it will tilt the camera to focus on where your ball is or move the the viewport up and down accordingly a bit more like an older like a uh, pokemon pinball for example um but yeah so it's fairly straightforward to play um and i found the the tables really interesting in that they do things that you couldn't do or would have extreme difficulty doing in a uh, 
in a real pinball table, I guess. It mm. it reminded me a little bit, this is a strange comparison, and I promise I won't sit on it for very long, but like the difference between a, a Magic the Gathering and a Hearthstone, for example, there are things you can do when you take the conceit of a, a pinball game or a card game and then digitize it. There are things that you can do there when you're freed from the constraints of physical cards or a physical pinball table that chain can potentially change the way that it plays. And some of the things here are, it goes from fairly cosmetic stuff to, you know, when you're celebrating unlocking a particular pathway or getting a particular score, you might have little characters that are part of the environment diorama of the pinball table might start, you know, doing cool animations. There could be like an alien that looks like it's an attacking or looks like it's attacking or you've got the military man shooting the aliens because we don't like them attacking our planet, all that sort of stuff. But it also had... It, I didn't see this because I never got good enough or dedicated enough to the game to actually unlock it, but it heavily implied that on one of the tables, if you met certain criteria, that you'd unlock a second level of the table. So I assume hmm. the camera would go underneath that top le- level of the table and go down to a second level with an entirely different set of obstacles and environmental hazards. And I feel like that while it may be possible in physical form, being digital would make it just orders of magnitude easier to pull off that kind of thing. And yeah, I really appreciated how they took what is really a super physical, uh, a physical game where you've got the momentum of the ball and all that. You, I think of pinball as a physical object and now you make it digital and you can do all these cool new things with it. So yeah, they, they, made a lot of um made a lot of effort to expand beyond what you can do in a physical pinball which i liked yeah uh, i mean that that analogy makes perfect sense to me uh, especially from the perspective um some years ago i remember talking with someone who was a pinball enthusiast and actually owned several uh, pinball tables and was involved in the, the upkeep and, and that sort of stuff as well and trying to to keep old pinball machines running is you know expensive or you know requires specialist knowledge which these days is hard to come by so that you know translating and transforming such a uh, such a, a physical experience or a, or a game that has relied on bespoke hardware for so long and transforming into that digital experience you know, makes makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I think that's pretty clever, um, having not played it myself, I think it's pretty clever that, you know, they do make full advantage of, you know, it being a, a digital game and taking advantage of the fact that, well, we can try things that would otherwise be extremely difficult or impossible with a an actual real-life pinball machine. So, uh, yeah, I think I think that's that's pretty cool, and uh, perhaps more pinball uh, games should you know do that if they aren't already. Um, because like yourself, yeah, that's my, the thing because neither yeah. of us really know. <laughs> no, no, because I'm thinking about my time with Pokemon Pinball, and I think <laughs> I may have even played a little bit of the, like the Metroid Pinball game on the DS oh, back in the day. I um, forgot that I, existed, but yeah, that's <laughs> that's one. <laughs> yeah, there have, there have been some strange pinball ada- uh, adaptations over the years, which have been oddly compelling. Um, but there's also, uh, and this is a slight tangent, but one that's relevant to, to the, the game of pinball itself, uh, there, there are some games out there that are, are very clever in integrating 
pinball game-like elements into other genres of games as well because I think of a couple of years ago playing this wonderful indie game called Yoku's Island Express which was um, you know, it was a game that's considered to be like a, a Metroidvania, you know, one of those games where it's like a 2D action-adventure game where you're exploring this, this large overworld and making progress by getting upgrades and unlocking new paths. But a lot of the, the action elements were these, these pinball sections where you're playing as this like little round dung beetle who gets flung around this, um, uh, this you know, pinball-like area of of the map and it was a really really clever way of you know taking you know two very different game genres and mashing them together so any anything that you know does puts a a new slant a new creative slant on you know these older concepts like the game of pinball which has been around for decades uh yeah i'm I'm entirely here for it yeah and it's one of those kinds of games that the central conceit is really quite straightforward to understand. You're really just fighting against gravity to stop a ball from falling off the edge of the table and you have limited means to do so. It's just these little flippers at the bottom. But yeah, there's so much they can do with it, but it makes it a a game that really is yeah quite straightforward to understand what your objective and your ability to exert your, your uh, desires on the game board to put it in a weirdly strange way uh but yeah it's fairly easy to understand what you need to do and how you can do it which i think makes it a very approachable game it's one that i i don't know if i see myself playing it very much beyond this because it's while it's it is pinball through and through i guess maybe i'm just not that into pinball like it was it was good fun but it doesn't have the i think of every other pinball game that i've enjoyed and it was either something that I played because I had nothing better to do on the school computer, thinking of the Windows XP one, or, you know, Pokemon Pinball or something that has some other gimmick to it, some other franchise to it that just kind of makes me more open to playing it, I guess. Whereas here, I found it was almost a bit overwhelming. I could probably get better with with time and with more dedication because there's just so many paths, so many things to each level that I didn't it's probably more the way that i play mobile games in quick sort of 15 minute bursts that it didn't work terribly well for my way of playing and to the game's credit it does give you fairly um fairly elaborate or detailed guides as to here's all the things you might want to know about this table here's how you'll unlock this extra path or do this uh this special bonus thing so it's it's not like it's uh difficult or to understand what you need to do but i think it's one of those kinds of games where mastery is quite difficult. It's fun to play a little bit, and I, I did enjoy a little bit, but I think cracking that nut to get to the the real meat of pinball kind of still eludes me at this point. So I'm glad I got to try it without paying you know anything more than my Apple Arcade subscription to give it a go. But yeah, I'm not sure it's one that's going to stay on my iPad or phone after this because it's too small on the phone and it's just not really my kind of thing on on the iPad, but it's, yeah, as I say, one of those ones that's quite easy to understand and get into. So if you've got a subscription, it's worth giving it a go. You'll know fairly quickly whether it's uh, vibes with you. And yeah, if, if it does, I know a lot of people for whom pinball is their thing, their capital T thing. It's super important. They love it to bits. And if you can give a game a try and it becomes your thing, then that's a pretty amazing thing. So it's worth a go. 
Yeah, and I I think uh, going back to one of the the first or one of the earliest uh, podcast recordings we did, uh, we sussed out Pinball Wizard. Um, oh and yeah, yeah. I'm I'm curious, you know, with this being perhaps more of a pinball simulation type game versus a a game that, like Yoku's Island Express, uses pinball mechanics in a, sort of a genre hybrid. Would you say for someone like us who are more, uh, you know, pinball casuals that you'd probably prefer, you know, Pinball Wizard as a a dip in and out sort of game? Yeah, definitely. I think Pinball Wizard, it's... It was great in that it's, yeah, it was a hybrid of different genres and the the pinball part was easy to understand. I I enjoy the physicality of playing pinball, but I enjoy the, the sort of RPG aspects of pinball wizard more so than the i don't know the the finding out what you need to do on a particular table and precisely doing what you need to do on a table because it requires a lot more precision for want of a better word to to have success in zen pinball party which is exactly what they set out to do but not something that i have the dedication or desire to to really be able to do i guess yeah yeah well, we'll move on to the, the next game then in Zookeeper World, which was the one that I played by Kitaretsu, based in Japan. And this one is a match-three-styled puzzle game with light and emphasis on the light zoo simulation elements. Uh, so I believe I set the challenge for myself at the end of the last podcast uh, as someone who has never really stuck with a match three puzzler for any great length of time i just don't find them particularly compelling but i was very keen to see whether zookeeper world would break that streak and whether it would be the match three puzzler for me because i do like you know cute little simulation games as well um long story short zookeeper world is not the game to do that for me uh because there's just there's just a few things that didn't really click with me while I was playing this one. Uh, certainly don't expect going into Zookeeper World, don't expect Zoo Tycoon or Planet Zoo levels of simulation in terms of managing your zoo and your animals and your, your you know exhibitions and attractions. It certainly doesn't go into that level of depth. Um, but sort of Taking a step back, my understanding that Zookeeper, um, not Zookeeper World, but Zookeeper uh, is is a long-running series or ha- is a game that dates back uh, quite a while ago to the early 2000s of um, Japanese puzzle games, uh, which have uh, been quite popular. Uh, I believe there was even an entry on the Nintendo DS back in the day. Yeah, it was not one that I, I played, but uh, it is it is a game that has a bit of history to it, which is pretty cool. Um, so like, like a lot of match threes, the, the puzzles involve matching up three or more animal icons in a row to, to clear space and to to clear those icons from the, the playing area. Um, different puzzles that you, that you go into have certain requirements like clearing X amount of a specific animal or, uh, you know, specific animals to uh, to clear them from the playing area within a certain amount of turns. Uh, and then lining up four or more icons, uh, generally the more icons you're able to line up in one go, uh, the, the better power-up you're able to generate from that, which they tend to function as, as bombs 
to, to clear more icons in one hit, uh, which is, is particularly handy if you've got a, a jumble of animal icons that you just can't seem to, to line up or you you don't really see you know, a way to, to clear the amount of animals that you, you want to be able to. So you're able to use those power-ups to, to clear you know, a larger amount of space in one and potentially create a bit of a domino effect of, of, other, uh, of other combinations, which, yeah, that's, that's pretty con- uh, conventional as far as match three puzzlers go, um, the, the ones that I have played for, you know, brief amounts of time uh, over the years. Um, but then, you know, the, the other, other part to Zookeeper World is, is the, the zoo management side of things, which, as I said, doesn't go into any great level of depth. Um, filling out puzzles earns you coins to spend on zoo exhibits and animals, uh, such as uh, cheeky-looking monkeys and lions and that sort of stuff, uh, as well as levelling up your zoo to be able to unlock more attractions and, and fill out your, your zoo um, you know, with, with more things for people to, to see and do and that sort of thing. Um, and I, I think one thing I did I did like about Zookeeper World was that it did a pretty good job of um, sort of onboarding you to the, to, to the whole concept. It sort of structures things through a, through a, a quest-like system where there's this oddball little sort of manager that you're, you're working for who assigns you various quests to, you know, oh, you know here's how to unlock attractions or here's how to earn coins, you know, by you know, completing puzzles. And then when you gain more popularity with your zoo, you gain fans who attend your zoo and more people attend your zoo. And then they'll ask for like sub quests and, you know, have specific requests like, oh, can you you know, add another monkey to the zoo or uh, level up to be able to give a monkey a silly outfit or whatever and in return they'll give you some coins or something else uh, which you know um, is intended to entice you to keep playing sounds uh, which... like i'm on staff at this zoo because those are very the requests that i have of my local zoo more <laughs> monkeys more outfits <laughs> Yes, yeah. Well, I mean, it'd be nice if you could go to your local zoo and, and request things, and then all they have to do is <laughs> is clear puzzles to then uh, get more animals. Maybe that's what Adelaide Zoo has to do. Which Maybe side- we should get them on the line. Yeah, sidebar, sidebar for those who uh, don't know the scenario. So obviously, we're we're Adelaide based in in South Australia, and we've. We've got a we've got quite a nice zoo, and it's it's got you know a nice nice collection of animals, both uh, both local and some uh, some imported animals as well. And infamously, we've got two pandas. Oh, uh, Wang, we do. Wang Wang, yes, Wang Wang and Funi, and um, they they just defy sort of let's 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 just say they defy nature. They are. Uh, I think by nature they are they are lazy, but so so lazy that they're not interested in mating, which is a big part of the reason that they're here as part of like the whole conservation effort and ecosystem and that sort of stuff. For for years and years, I've been trying to get them to have baby pandas, but they are just not interested. So my proposal is is that Adelaide Zoo, all you got to do is complete a bunch of puzzles, and then Wang Wang and Funi will be like, oh yeah. 
yeah, we should we should have baby pandas. So they need to get I, you I, on staff there, maybe because maybe they just haven't got someone quite as good at uh, you know clearing blocks of three pandas to make more pandas. Yeah, well, because I I clearly with all of my uh, animal science and veterinarian <laughs> uh, knowledge uh, have clearly cracked the code here. Um, so I uh, yeah, I'll, I'll certainly be. You know, sending a, sending a letter to to my local zoo to get them to to do puzzles and get more animals, <laughs> which is naturally how how the uh, how the world works. Well, uh, to get us back, I did see in your um, I guess you could consider this almost a segue. Uh, I'd see in the notes you've got stuff about sort of bosses that uh, come into the whole scenario of a match three, and maybe. Is one of these bosses getting pandas to to have babies? How how do these bosses work in a match three sort of scenario? Well, unfortunately, I haven't come across any panda bosses, but uh, along the way in Zookeeper World, along with leveling up your your zoo and making a bit of progress, you encounter these wacky mecha bosses, which in in my experience playing the game comes in the form of like this big angry looking robot that resembles the the manager dude that you're working for um and really the the concept here is that it's you know it still requires the the same core puzzle gameplay to um to enact and and to to beat the boss but the the boss um sort of gets gets in your way a bit and shuffles around the the icons in the playing area and becomes a bit of a distraction and an obstacle for you to to overcome in order to beat the boss uh so you're able to to deal damage to the mecha boss by clearing lines of icons and animals that are adjacent to and making contact with wherever the the mecha boss then appears on the playing area, which can be a little bit tricky because they do move around a bit. So then you're you're expecting to be able to line up, oh yeah, I can line up these three lions or these giraffes to then cause damage to to the boss, but then then the boss moves and then all of a sudden you've got to try and figure out, oh, okay, what's the what's the next arrangement or what's the next lineup I can, I can deal with here. But it's, you know, it's, it's more the same just with a, a slight twist uh, to, to the gameplay. So it's um, you know, an, an intriguing little, little element, but it's, it's not something that really shakes up the, the gameplay to uh, imbue it with you know, a, a great sense of variety uh, because ultimately for, for me, Zookeeper World, feels like one of those Apple Arcade games. And we've played a few of these uh, over over the course of the podcast. But this this one certainly feels like one of those games where uh, the the design feels like it's it's a free-to-play freemium sort of game, albeit by being on Apple Arcade, it's had the monetization elements stripped out. So because uh, there's still two types of currency in the game. So you've got coins and then you've got these green gem things that look, you know, look like the sort of thing you'd normally collect in Crash Bandicoot or whatever. Uh, and yep. um, so, yeah, you've got two different types of uh, currency that are used for different things. Like the, the coins are used for, for most things like uh, 
recruiting new animals and exhibitions and attractions to to the zoo and then from memory the the gems are more for unlocking the the variants of different outfits and you know different goofy cosmetic sort of things which it, it sort of feels like it's a sort of thing that oh yes you know if it weren't for apple arcade you'd pay 10 bucks for a a chest of gems or whatever or you know for more coins to be able to hasten up the process of unlocking things and leveling up because the as as it currently stands that the leveling up does feel a bit slow because there were times where I had completed a bunch of puzzles and performed reasonably well and I had earned enough coins that I could afford the next attraction but I still had to play more puzzles to then level up to unlock that attraction as something that I was then able to purchase. Uh, so the that's... the pacing the pacing just feels a little bit off. Um, and that's that's where you know it, it's very separate and very distinct from those zoo simulation games like Zoo Tycoon and Planet Zoo, in that you you can't really take things at your own pace and enjoy the zoo management side of things. It is so intrinsically linked to the the puzzle games and completing x amount of puzzles sort of like the the story based uh games where oh to progress the story you've got to beat this puzzle and that sort of stuff which Mm. feels feels a bit inorganic in its pacing so that that was something that definitely threw me off and and hampered my enjoyment of of zookeeper world for sure yeah, it's a little bit of a shame because we've talked about it, especially in the early days, of just how promising the idea of Apple Arcade is for mobile games very specifically because it's a market where realistically you have to be able to make money out of these games and often the way to do that is through you know gating progress through purchases or just mm. engage ongoing engagement. So you've got ads and various other things going on. And our hope for Apple Arcade was that if you take away all of those requirements, people can just focus on here is we can make a great game without worrying well, without the monetization being intrinsic to how the game plays to the same degree. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's a bit of a shame when, when a lot of games are, they've taken a design for a different monetization strategy and kind of not rethought it enough to have it make sense in this new context. I think when you mentioned yeah. that, you know, you had enough coins to have the next um, next attraction, but it almost seemed to, based on your description, like there would be a time gate or some other kind of engagement-related freemium gate that would stop you getting there in, yeah. in, a, in a regular game. But yeah, for a game here, you kind of expect, cool, I'm up to the next section, I can play it, I'm up to the next section, I can play it. But when that doesn't actually work that way, it's, yeah, it feels feels like a game designed for a different context than we're actually playing it in, which is a bit of a bummer. Yeah, and it sort of feeds into that perception of uh, a lot of these subscription models. And with with Apple Arcade, there are lots of great games on the service that warrant the you know the the fee. But the there's the the perception and you know a lot of the a lot of the terms for these subscription services are hidden behind all sorts of NDAs and that sort of thing. So you can't you know, find details about what specifically the, the terms of the agreements are between the developers, publishers and and Apple. But it, it does uh, it does seem like on the surface that 
you know, a lot of a lot of the, the terms are, are based on um, you know trying to get people to, to keep playing your game for length of time you know length spent in app or length spent uh, returning to app and that sort of thing and with with a game like zookeeper world and for anything that has like customization and you know little management and simulation elements, what what keeps me coming back to a game is if that core gameplay loop is is satisfying and fun and if i can if i can you know keep working my way through uh you know unlocking new things and you know you know still still earning the coins required to to then purchase them and install them at the zoo then that's that's what keeps me coming back you know at at a pace that feels natural and organic to me at the pace that I'm playing, as opposed to being arbitrarily stopped because I'm not at X level yet, or I haven't um, done X, Y, or Z yet, uh, which is, uh, yeah, a little bit annoying. So I, yeah, I'm more inclined to spend more time in a game if it's less restrictive than if it's sort of arbitrarily restricts me in an effort to get me to play more to then unlock more things which it's it's a bit of a um uh, a bit of an oxymoron in that sense yeah it's a bit of a shame i guess we're you know still going to be looking on the horizon for the match three that really grabs chris but it hasn't happened yet yeah i mean one thing i can say for zookeeper world is that it's very colorful goofy and charming so it's you know, if if you're looking for just a nice match three to play, then it's you know it's it's got uh, plenty of charm there, um, and it's got these cute not not quite voxel but these cute blocky uh, like uh, characters that uh, are quite funny to look at, and the animals are quite cutely designed. But yeah, I, I really struggled to to find you know ongoing enjoyment here beyond the initial. Um, you know the initial novelty period of starting a new game and learning uh, the 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 you know new sort of uh, you know the elements of it, but yeah, not 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 one I'll I'll be in a great hurry to return to. Ah oh, well, I guess we can hope for next time. We've got a, a series of different games that we're going to be each trying for the next episode, and fingers crossed, one of those will uh, be a long term uh, enjoyment sort of game. Did you want to mention what you're going to be playing next time, Chris? Yes, yeah, certainly. So uh, I'm going to revisit one that we missed the first time around because this one came out a bit over a year ago now, I believe. Uh, the Last Campfire by Hello Games, based out of the UK, who you may know for their you know very very big and well known game Joe Danger and No Man's Sky. <laughs> Joe um, Danger was fantastic. No, no was. shame, no slander. <laughs> it was. That was a great game. But yes, No Man's Sky. Uh, they are the folks who are very well known for the, the revival of No Man's Sky. So The Last Campfire um, is about helping the character Ember find hope. And it looks from the screens, it looks gorgeous. Uh, but the main reason I'm visiting this now, as opposed to when it first came out, is it's just had its release on other platforms. So it's more widely available for other people to play outside of Apple Arcade. So what better time to visit it than now when, yeah, you can join in and, you know, gather some thoughts on the game, um, you know, on uh, you know when it's on other platforms if you, you know, don't have an Apple Arcade subscription. Yeah, totally. And I think I've chosen the game for me for next episode to be Lego Star Wars Battles. Uh, It looks very much like a game I've enjoyed in the past, Clash Royale, but 
with sort of a Star Wars theme. So yeah, it's two two elements that I'm keen to see how they mix together. Hopefully should be good fun. And yeah, I'm looking forward to finding out about that. Nice one. Well, thank you very much for joining us on yet another episode of Mobile Arcade Club. And we hope that you'll join us next time around. And yeah, feel free as always to uh, ping us a, a message or ping us on uh, social media, on Twitter and uh one of us is generally hanging around on the Apple Arcade subreddit, so we hope to have your listenership next time. Thanks for listening to the show. We hope you had fun and maybe found something useful. If you did enjoy the show, we'd love it if you told a mobile game-loving friend about it or gave us a review in Apple Podcasts. It all helps more people find the show. You can follow the show on Twitter, at Club, where we'll talk about games from upcoming episodes, and each of us hosts are happy to chat gaming too. Our handles are in the show notes. Thanks again for listening, and we'll chat again next time.